got a million dollars. Hot dog! I'm Joel Volk and welcome to Small BizCast, where twice a month I explore the lives of small business owners to dig a bit deeper and explore strengths, weaknesses, ideas, and challenges with blemishes and all. Paul Laredo of INX Commercial Cleaning has built a platform to put working people in business for themselves. Paul zigs where others zags and we can all learn a lot from him. As you listen to Small BizCast, you will find comfort in knowing that you are not alone. Hopefully you'll find inspiration and ideas from the people I introduce you to, like Paul. Hopefully you'll laugh a little too. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life. I went to Cal State Northridge after I graduated from Taft and went to Cal State Northridge for the better part of seven years. It took me seven years to complete a four-year course of study probably because I was working and probably because I didn't really care that much at the time. So when I graduated, which was in 79, that's when I went to work for a CPA firm. And uh, I did that for uh, just about three years or a little bit over that. And then ultimately ended up taking a position as a controller for a cable TV company, a small cable TV company uh, over on the east side called uh, Boy Division Telecommunications. And um, I worked there on and off for the better part of 20 years. And ultimately, we sold the company. I had a piece of the company at that point, because at that time, I was the CFO. And uh, I parlayed that small dollar amount into the business that I own today. So in uh, 2002, I established the business, not because I knew a lot about the cleaning industry. I knew just very little bit about it. But what I did know is that the model itself and how the model worked, um, I had spoken to several people in the business and decided it was a good fit for me. Uh, it was a professional model in that we sell franchises. So I'm a franchisor and it's a franchise concept. And so we started the business uh, first by renting an office space. And then I hired a couple of executives to help me build it out. And we built the model. And then 2003, about a year later, we actually opened the doors, started selling franchises. And, and uh, that was the very beginning. What's the business itself? So what we do is we sell franchises to people who want to become a janitorial contractor. So they're in the cleaning business and they're a contractor. So they get labor and they provide service to companies that look for cleaning. And some of the contracts that they work on are $1,000 a month, $10,000 a month contracts, and, and up from there. And they work for large companies or their customers are large companies. What our business does is we go ahead and help them to establish their business. And then we go out and find the contracts for them and provide the contracts for their business. So they, you, you pretty much run the back office. You do the billing for them too, I believe, right? We also do the billing and all the collections and all of the uh, background work that needs to get done that creates the workflows that pushes out the data to the right places. So things get scheduled at the right time, work gets completed at the right time. And that's what creates the harmony between the client and the contractor. So it's really brilliant because what you do is you take uh, uh, a profession that is not really known well for its business acumen, you add the administrative and the marketing and the, the, the SOPs to the, to the business. And then the, the person doing the work owns the business. So the person is, is that right? You're shaking your head. Did I get that wrong? No, no, no. You got it right. I'm just right. Uh, so it's really, it's really brilliant because it, it, it really gives that level of sophistication to a person that may not have that part of their gift and, and allows you, you add the skill set that they may not have. 
in order to be a proper business. And generally speaking, in our industry, it's exactly what it comes down to. Most of the people in our industry are really good at the one area, which is being the contractor. Right. And often when they get larger, they're really good at contracting. Where the failure comes from is uh, they're not really good on the administrative side. Right. So the systems, the processes, the personnel necessary to run all of those things, that's where they typically have a shortcoming. So maybe invoicing doesn't go out for a couple of days or the invoicing isn't accurate or uh, the person who answers the phone doesn't have the ability to give them an answer. So they get put off for, a, for an hour, a day, a week, or a month. And um, it gets lost in the weeds and things are written down on a piece of paper. And it's all of that sy systemic you know, background that really makes the difference. And your business is called INX? Right. Yeah, it's INX Building Maintenance Solutions. Okay, and what does that mean? Where did INX come from? So INX is a play on interior and exterior. Ah, gotcha. And uh, it used to be INEX. It was a funny story in that it used to be INEX. That's what I started. I said, well, I'm not sure what the name of the company. So for the moment, I'm going with INEX. And then um, when we decided to go ahead and have a logo designed, uh, we gave it to the designer, and a week later, he says, I got some ideas. I think you're going to really love it. But first, I want to show it to you. Uh, don't be shocked. I got rid of the E. I couldn't make the E work. <laughs> and I looked, and I said, well, then we're, I guess we're INX now. Yeah, but you know what? It works. I think it's better. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Yep, that's, and that's who we are today. Very cool. So um, do you do the uh, accounts receivable as well, the collection? We, 100%. So think about that from a, a, a small business perspective, how great that is having a team of people day one that does your marketing and your billing. And do you do your scheduling too? We, well, we said that that's typically it's a client thing. So the client's the one that designates what the schedule is, whether they want their building cleaned, you know, this day to that day or this time to that time on that specific date, whatever they want. So that's what the contract reads. I see. And then once that's done, then we make sure that the system has that data in it. So it gets pushed out to the contractor and the contractor knows what needs to get done. And we really uh, emphasize recurring billing. Right. That's the model that, yeah. that we live and die by. So what we're really looking for is long-term customer relationships. And the, right. the reason long-term is really important is because when you look at ROI from a marketing perspective, you want to know what is the lifetime value of a client. Right. So if the lifetime value of a client is actually a lifetime, right. there's a lot of value there. Absolutely. And when it's and when it's only for a day, a week, a month, or a year, then not quite as much. So you know, the, the lifetime value, it, yeah. No, the lifetime value of the client is often overlooked by people who are trying to make decisions. And once you put that element into it, it makes it all very clear that how important it is to be, you know, to make decisions that create stability for the client, make you know, do things that are right that the client you make the client may be wrong, but the but the long-term value of the client, the investment is the right thing for the small business person to do. If, if you use that metric, you'll have, a, you'll have a much bigger business much faster. And if you qualify your clients well, then you're picking people that are likeliest to be your long, best long-term clients right. who actually care about their vendors. Right. So it's, part, it's part of what we look for when we're doing the marketing. Right. I'd say one of the other things that, that we haven't touched on yet is, in fact, the marketing itself. Um, our franchises pay us to do the marketing and sales for them, but they only pay us upon success. Interesting. So when we get the cut, when we get the contract, that's what we charge them for the services. Until then, they don't pay a dime. 
So that I think is the other value for being in this kind of a system. Right. Is you're only, you, it's a pay as you go versus many other franchise systems where you're paying a constant marketing fee in order to generate uh, prospective clients. Very good. Interesting. Do you have any success stories among your, your clients, your franchisees? My franchise? Oh, absolutely. I've got a franchise that started with a $5,000 investment and he currently is billing right about $5 million a, um, a year. Wow. And uh, and he's doing extraordinarily well for himself. I don't know exactly how much he nets, but he nets for a, a nice dollar. He, he makes more money than I do. Let's put it that so, way. So what's interesting about that is you'd think that when he gets to that level of sophistication, he may not be, need to be part of your system anymore. Yet my guess is that you're doing such a great job, it would cost him way too much money to replicate what you've already got in place that's working so well. Yeah, our cost of sales and marketing probably is is uh, uh, akin to what he uh, would have available if he took all of his gross profits and put it towards that. And then he'd have uh, to he'd have to reinvent the wheel. He'd have to do all of that and be good at it. Um, you know, so, so we have we have a large engine behind him. Um, we're con- we, we invest so much money in our systems, our customizations, and programming things like that. Um, our franchises couldn't afford to do that. How long did it take you to get your system down to where it was a successful system? I'll let you know when I get there. <laughs> so you're, uh, it's, you're constantly it's, in movement is what, it doesn't surprise me knowing you, by the way, I know that's how <laughs> you operate, but you, um, there was a time, there was a time when I first met you that, you know, you were upside down for quite some time. It took me frightening five years to take a paycheck. Right. So from 2002 to 2007 to get a paycheck, um, we didn't hit profitability, uh, true profitability until about 2009, 2010. Uh, we were we were a break even, barely break even for a couple of years. But then we started to push through that and got into the nice profit uh, arena. But we weren't fully built out at that stage. I didn't have a fully blown marketing department. Um, I didn't have fully blown systems at that stage, and it probably took us till about 2017 to do that. So, so 15 years, you're 15 year journey of keeping it alive and constantly building it out. And of course, I bootstrapped it because I never used any outside money or outside loans to do it. Right. So here comes my very hard question that I promised you. Oh, please. Okay. The progressive attitude. Boxers. Oh, I thought it was a good boxes of briefs. Sorry. Yes. I said it was a hard question. Oh. So, earlier, you demonstrated a very uh, progressive, modern attitude towards your staff and your the co- company culture. Mm-hmm. And the question is, would you have been in that 15-year pace sooner had you adopted that earlier? Was it at all possible to be thinking that way when you were bootstrapping it and trying to really keep your head above water? No, I think in the very beginning, when you start these companies, things are very, very serious because every little dollar, every moment is a make or break. Right. You can't afford mistakes, right? hundred percent. So you're, you're bringing 12 hour days. You're bringing a a very high work ethic and anybody that's with you that doesn't mirror that ethic is going to drag you down because your survival is dependent on everybody pulling together and being narrowly focused. Yeah. I remember in that stage, having those conversations with my key people and by key people, I mean, we're talking two, three people, not 20, 30 people, right? Right. right. A couple of people that I, that were confidants saying we simply can't afford mistakes. 
we have to do this right. We have to do this well. And um, and not ever 100% sure that when they looked me in the eye that they knew what I meant. Not, you know, that, that you know, not, not and, and so being generous as a, a manager towards the, them was not my priority. And I often wonder, because I feel like an enlightened business person, but I also wonder whether I could have survived and been enlightened earlier. Well, think of it like this. In the Bill Gates Foundation, had Bill Gates formed that foundation when he formed uh, Microsoft, likely the foundation wouldn't have had much value. Right, right. So, so we are able to uh, give a lot of benefit to our staff and to our clients and to a lot of other people in the world merely because we've become successful. But getting right. to the point where you're successful enough to do those things, that's a huge challenge. So that's why I, uh, that's why I was curious about why you wanted to lead off with this because I got there. I'm really happy I'm, because I love my life. <laughs> I'm, I'm happier now than I've ever been in my life. And right. if you asked me, how happy are you back in 2005? You probably would have gotten the double finger salute. I, I don't believe happy. No, I don't believe that because I did know you back then. And, and you were always a <laughs> person. No, I think happy people make the best out of the bad situations right. and unhappy people can't find joy in the best situations. That's, that, that's absolutely the truth. And so I know, I know you, your personality wise, you were happy then you like, you enjoyed the fight. Like I enjoyed the fight. I loved, I loved the fight. I did. I did winning the fight made it even better, but you had, but during in the fight, in the moment, it, it was, you know, it's an impassioned place. It's a place that you have that fire in your belly and no one can put it out. It's all inside, right? Well, for me, it has to be a, a passion. It has to be something you love. And I love business. Right. So for me, you know, like you, you had made mention of, uh, you know, when you go out to a restaurant, you know, there's not a restaurant that I ever walk into that I don't look around and think, how do they do it here? How would I run the business differently? Yeah. And uh, you know, just can't help it. And every business I see, and some are just amazing how yeah. people have figured out how to create a a business that just works i was very impressed by so many businesses days of the pandemic mm -hmm. and how they were able to pivot and survive i have to tell you i have lots of questions whether i would have been able to do it whether the imagination would have percolated to the top i'm, I'm grateful i didn't have to face it the way so many people did uh -huh. um but but i'm really um i'm really impressed by some by, by a lot of uh people that i didn't know had it in them well, uh, I'll tell you, it was March 17th when I grabbed the group uh, and I grabbed all my top managers. We all got on a call and, and I said, guys, I think we're headed into something that's really serious here and I think we need to prep for it. So the question was, uh, do you want to wait until the banks kill the a line of credit or do you want to draw it down now? And I said, let's assume the worst. Let's just draw down the line of credit for the moment and at least you know, cash is king. And we've got that going for us. And then the next question is, what, what do we have to do? What might happen in the next three, four, five months? Right. And in fact, by the end of April, we had lost nearly a quarter of all of our business. Right. And in fact, we watched as all of our commercial clients held on to their cash. Right. They didn't pay their bills to us. So we had no in, inbound cash. We had let fewer customers, and um, it was a very frightening moment. By the end of May, we weren't sure if we could survive. Wow. And by the end of June, we had more cash than we knew what to do with. Right. 
what, so, what, and what, what did you do with the cash that you had? I held on to it. As it turned out, we ended up uh, more than doubling our cash for the, for, for the, by the end of the year. So right. our, our cash position actually improved as a result of the pandemic. But if part, it's because we segued into another line that we didn't previously emphasize. Oh, that well, that? That, well, we, as I've said before, our real model is recurring revenues. So we discount any opportunity to do a one-time service in favor of an opportunity to do a long-term service. Sure. But because of the pandemic, because of the heightened um, concern about uh, COVID, there was a heightened uh, awareness as to uh, having people come in and do disinfecting. So we started doing these one-time disinfectings for a tremendous number of people. Right. You get, you take the phone call, you're out there the next day doing it and you reap the benefit. The dollars just cut, started coming in. And for us, it's a much higher profit. So we love the extra profit margin. So as it turned out, our, our gross top line revenues were down marginally, but our gross profits were up by far. Were you able to, of that. Were you able to, to, to turn some, were some of those new relationships you were able to turn into new monthly recruiting revenue? I would say a scant few. Um, some are, some have turned into really good long-term clients, but not many. We're going to take a short break and be right back. Welcome to our new sponsor, Jorgensen HR. Jorgensen HR believes that an employer's workforce is the single key to customer satisfaction, reputation growth, profitability, and the ultimate success of the company. Jorgensen HR works to ensure that employers are in compliance with federal, state, and local HR laws and helps assist them with almost everything else HR. Driven by passion and guided by expertise, Jorgensen HR. Please remember to mention Small BizCast when you call 661-600-2070 or visit them online at jorgensenhr.com. Small BizCast is proud to support Fit for the Cause. Fit for the Cause is the leading organization in fitness for low-income and special needs communities. Founded in response to the national health crises, Fit for the Cause has used licensed and COVID-conscious trainers to keep their members active, even during the pandemic. Offering physical training, nutrition, and a variety of classes, members benefit from the same resources given to Special Olympic athletes. So stay active now by going to www.fitforthecause.org. That's fit, the numeral four, thecause.org. You may remember Janice Miller of Miller Haga Law Group from our episode, Saving Nigel in season one. Miller Haga supports businesses of all sizes from large to small. No matter what phase your business is in, from startup to wind down, Miller Haga Law Group acts as your innovative general counsel. Their experienced team of lawyers will keep the gears of your business turning. If you want to minimize your liability while maximizing your profits with competent and efficient counsel, contact MillerHaga.com for more information. That's MillerHaga, H-A-G-A.com. If you know of anyone who feels lonely on their way to the top, I can help. Hot Dog Business Growth is for companies of all sizes. For people new to business, we offer the Pay It Forward Roundtable, a monthly half-day panel discussion with your peers, coupled with one-to-one -one private counseling with me. This is super affordable and the best OJT you'll ever get as you learn to grow your business. For the more seasoned, Hot Dog Business Growth offers counseling for leadership and teams. We offer sales strategies and team synergy, as well as customer service assessments and training. 
Our decades of business experience is on tap for you and your team. Schedule your no obligation conversation at hotdogbizgrowth.com. We are back. Paul Laredo and I are discussing his business, INX Commercial Cleaning, and the unique way in which he brings opportunity to small business owners. From a marketing perspective, have you thought about, and maybe you're already doing it, create some sort of signage that might go inside a building that says we're INX certified? We've looked at it. We've talked at it. We've seen others who have done it. Yeah. We don't, we don't believe there, it has a big impact. What if it was uh, tied into some sort of marketing campaign for franchisees? Perhaps. But again, what we're, we're not seeing that as being the, the point of impact. I see. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a nice add-on, but it's not yeah. why you go to the, you, you don't go to the concert for the t-shirt, but you buy one while you're there. Yeah. No, but I, I appreciate that when I'm going into a business, if it has a sign saying this has been professionally cleaned, protect me against uh, COVID. I appreciate that there's some effort to keep my family and me safe. Don't you? I think to some degree though, you know, anybody can buy a sticker. I mean, how many people right. have ADP stickers on their right. front lawn and they don't right. have an alarm system. Right. And the other notion is that it's questionable whether or not it really has, there's any value in disinfecting surfaces uh-huh. I mean, from, from a, a realistic perspective. That's likely not how people are catching COVID. Right. Okay. Um, it's probably coming for somebody's lungs and not Someone's airborne. Somebody's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not somebody's pencil. Right. Marketing is buying eyes, and anytime you have the opportunity mm-hmm. to to get your logo and become have become make it more prominent in the in the society, it can only help you. It can't hurt you unless somebody unless there's a newspaper article that says uh, you know all INX surfaces have been COVID. <laughs> have, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. There's there's it's an opportunity to to make your logo more ubiquitous. Right. Um, and uh, truthfully, the people that seem to be most impacted about any kind of cleaning are the people who populate the office. Right. The day in, day out staffing. Yeah. Those, are the, those are the people that really appreciate the, the cleaning. And um, I can guarantee you when you invite us in to clean your building, your staff will know that we were there and your staff will see the difference. Gotcha. It's, it's that dramatic and um, in large measure, not because we have just great staff or great chemicals or anything like that. We just have a really good process. Right. And that process works. Right. Have you learned any lessons about your business from the franchisees? 100%. I, I assume that the, your success story where the, the company is billing $5,000, $5 million a year. Uh-huh. I imagine he's probably a sharp enough person that you, he can teach you a few things. I'm curious, how, uh, how do you get a feedback loop from your team, from those people uh, to your team? Yeah, absolutely. And often it's very conversational. But the reality is that they deal with things we don't deal with. So the contractor, you know, if you imagine a contractor out there with a nail gun and they're nailing up boards and, you know, on, on, as they're framing a house, let's say. Yeah. Um, they know they know just about how many boards that they can nail up in any period of time, how many nails it takes, which are the right nail guns to use. Right. But for us, the designers, you know, we're architecting the house. All of that's lost on us, yeah. but we think, well, this is going to work really good. And that's why typically somebody will take the architectural drawing and they'll look at it and say, well, that's, that looks really good on paper, but that's going to be really hard to do. But if we can make a few little modifications, we can make it easier to do and it'll get a better result. Mm-hmm. So typically what happens is, you know, we, we understand what it takes to clean a building, but mm-hmm. they come in and look at it and say, let's modify this just a little bit. We'll get a better result. 
Right. And so they help us. And that's one of the reasons why we actually have a feedback loop on each and every contract we go after. Our franchises actually know the contract before they start it because they went and visited the client. And then our franchises are giving us input on why they believe it, the contract should carry a certain price to it or include certain scope uh, or you know, of additional services. Work yeah. Because they're saying this is what that's going to require. We know, they know, we put our two brains together and we come up with a really good solution. Do you encourage your franchises to communicate to each other and have almost like a peer group or that type of thing? Even if we didn't, prisoners talk to one another. The bottom line, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the bottom line is you're never you're never going to stop staff in your company from talking to one another. You're never going to stop. You'll never stop the franchise group from talking to one another and collaborating with each other, especially if they're unhappy with something. Yeah. They will talk. We actually provide with for, to them a couple of ways of doing that so they right. can speak privately we actually give them all slack seats so yeah. they have they all have seats on slack and though we have a common franchise channel they are free to to direct message each other and if you're not familiar with slack you'll know nobody else can see a dm besides the, two, the people who are actually on the dm yeah, I, I want to compliment you on that. I was—I'm not surprised to hear that you've made this facility available. But I wanted—I was going to mention that if if you have a company out there and you're not encouraging your teams to speak to each other, then you're missing the opportunity to make your business better with very very little effort. And so I'm—I'm—I brought it up because I want to make the point to everybody. But I was—I'm not at all surprised that you're way ahead of me on that because that sounds like something that you would be doing. Well, yeah, that all comes out of my English 305 class or English for business majors college when um, I learned that you can't stop rumors in a company. Uh, The only thing you can do is tell them the truth. And I thought, well, that makes sense to me. All you can do is give them, tell them the truth as best as you can. And then you're going to have to let them speak to one another. They may mangle the truth a little bit, but you can't control that. Right, right. What, um, what, what challenges do you see moving forward now that you've gotten through so many? Well, I don't know if you've been awake in the last two years, but a lot of things are going on. And whether it's political challenges or COVID challenges. Hey, I think you're referring to fake war, news. Are you talking about fake news? Or, or, uh, or, or a disruption <laughs> of the supply chain. You name it. We've seen it in the last two years. And it's in some circumstances, it's potentially devastating. In other circumstances, it's a business opportunity. But things have become so volatile lately, it's really difficult for us to look forward with any measure of certainty, Mm -hmm. uh, other than to say the one certainty we know we're going to face is that things are going to change and change rapidly. Right. But you're in in that kind of agile. You're in that kind of business, though. You can scale up or down quickly. And I assume that your franchisees can as well. Yeah, scaling is a big part of it. Um, we're, we're in a business where we have, we have a, basically a bucket of clients and then mm-hmm. the top of the bucket, we're pouring more clients in and at the bottom of the bucket, we have a small leak and we want to have a small leak as possible, but we'll always leak some client base. Uh-huh. We'll always, we always have to feed more into it. And so it's just a constant effort to feed more and more clients in and retain as many as you possibly can. We have an extraordinarily strong retention rate. Right. But one way or the other, we're always going to have to be growing. And I, I do see that for us, 
these next five years, we are going to grow exponentially. So does DesignX have a a smaller than industry normal um, attrition rate of clients? Yes, we do. And, and what do you and you do you attribute that to your systems or your communication or all of the above? It's the entire menu. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, you know, when, when you walk into a restaurant and you're the first thing you do, you have this landing zone, you walk through the door, you're in the landing zone, you see the little podium and there's a host or hostess behind it, or maybe two or three of them. And you walk up and that's when the event starts. Right. You haven't even touched a morsel of food and already you're influenced as to how the night's going to go. And and then it ends as you're walking out the restaurant and everything that happens from the time uh, you know you give the ticket to the valet until the car get, gets brought up. And all of these things influence how your night went. Right. And anyone who's read a Yelp review has seen everything was beautiful except for this one bad thing that happened. They give it a one-star review. Yeah, right. That one thing ruined a beautiful meal. Right. And that's how it works for us too. So it's everything from the moment you agree to do business with a client right. until the time the service is done and everything in between. And then of course they have to get invoice for that service. What's that like? What's what happens if they need us to break the invoice into five parts or one invoice has to go to one place and then a different invoice to another place. Yeah. So all these things play a role in it. And that's uh, that all feeds into why we have a lower than industry norm on, on attrition. So the business growth counselor in me wants to ask some questions that I think you're probably way ahead of me on. And I want to, and, I, and the reason I asked, I'm going to put it this way is because I'm going to ask you these questions with the confidence that you probably already thought of it, but I want to use it as a learning moment for whoever's listening. Okay. Okay. Um, I want INX to be, use this model for the gardeners in my neighborhood. I want to use them for the other service providers, the pool people, any of the ser- any service provider that is really good at delivering the deliverable, but I've found to be lacking when it comes to the business sophistication, the marketing, the billing, the, the SOPs. Mm-hmm. This platform that you've created seems to me totally portable from industry to industry. What am I yes, missing? What am I missing? I believe it is too. Okay. And that's that's our intent is to continue to expand it out. But for us, the primary driver is going to be the janitorial side to it, the, the, the commercial cleaning side to so it. It's challenging here because office mm-hmm. space is under disruption. You know, if, if, the, if there's any industry in the world that's under disruption, it's commercial office space. 100%, but you know what so, it isn't? So, but they all, have, but, but, the, but the square footage is staying the same and they all have to be cleaned. So I think, so, which means you're going to be if, constantly replacing your customers as this disruption permeates. If, if we were to focus solely on office, I would agree with you. And in fact, I think those were some of the companies that got hit hard during the pandemic were those that concentrated almost exclusively on cleaning office space. Okay. But we clean a tremendous amount of industrial and commercial space. Okay. Uh, so uh, imagine a food processing plant. Right. That the COVID, all COVID did was increase their cost. Right. Because they had to clean it more. They didn't stop. Right. They cleaned it more. Bottling, bottling Pepsi. Okay. Or, or Dasani water. Right. right? And you were, you were still eating your Oreos. They got packaged somewhere. somewhere. Right. Okay. So those are the spaces that we really love to be in. So food, food processing is, a, is part of our portfolio. I see. Um, and a, a, a great part of our portfolio. We okay, so that's great. Clients last year on that. Yep. So, so why not 
So why not create a division going after the guys, the trucks and the lawnmowers? Um, I have this thing about uh, being narrowly focused um, and building out based on having a completed some platforms. I think we have a long way to go on the commercial cleaning side and the dollars are big and we know it and know it very well. I'm not opposed to getting another, into other offshoots of, of what we do. And in fact, I exposed that in a company-wide meeting uh, back in May, or I think it was end of June, I apologize. And uh, in June, I, sh I showed them the seven other businesses that we'll be in in the next 15 years. And I right. said, if you want to have fun, guys, uh, drop a 15-year business plan and show it to me. I'd love to see it. <laughs> Because right. that's what I that's what I did. And I said it's it's really scary because there's a lot of pie in the sky. Yeah. The bottom, the bottom line to it is yeah, the, the plans are to expand, but one step at a time. And yes, we may accelerate some things more than others, but the reality is I don't think we're going to be doing anything different for the next two years. What about uh what about services that go very much hand in hand with um, what you do professionally. Can you give me an example? So I can... Well, you know, I, I too go to restaurants and, um, you know, I, I'm a, a person that uses the bathroom at restaurants and I see these uh, yeah. companies, companies that all they do is they clean restaurant toilets. They don't clean the restaurants necessarily. Now, I'm, I'm guessing that you guys clean the restaurants. But, but that service, I, I've spoken to a couple of franchisees on the franchisors on that. And that's a very lucrative business for them. And it, not it, only, it and not only, and not only do they, succeed in the services element of it, but they have a big business when it comes to this, to the heart the supplies, the paper goods and the other supplies that go into, to uh, equipping, yes. equipping the, those restrooms. Yes, they do. I think the restaurant business is a really good example. Um, in the rest, in a restaurant, you have front of the house, you have back of the house, you have, as you say, you've got things like restrooms. Probably um, under the house too. Uh, and uh, you also have uh, specific things in the back of the house, like hoods. So right. you have these hoods, they have to be cleaned. Right. So there are some really specialized companies that do that specific kind of thing. Right. Uh, there are the companies that go out there and they just do the restrooms. I, uh, For me, they're a giant waste of money, but it's what they do. I think they provide value and that's why I would not do that. I also believe that specific to restaurants, um, uh, one way of looking at a restaurant is a restaurant is a place where cleaning gets done on a regular basis, constantly and throughout the day at a very high level. And they also make food. Right. Because a restaurant really is all about cleanliness and it's constantly done. And so anytime when you see an outsider brought in to clean a restaurant, it makes you wonder what the heck's going on at that restaurant. Now there are specific things like let's say hoods or that, doing yeah. a carpet. Those are things that might be more specialized. That's what like, I mean. Respect respectfully. I think that's their dilemma to, to, to go over. I think yours is to provide the service for those that do need the, the, the extra effort right. in one area or the other. And this, and for me, there's a business reason why we don't go into restaurants typically. There, there is there there is a business uh, element to uh, any kind of a retail chain, mm -hmm. uh, whether it be a restaurant or anything else. Um, and the bottom line for us is that there's typically a tremendous turnover at uh, uh, site management. Okay. And uh, and those relationships get up and leave. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how strong your relationship is with the site manager. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say they're a GM at an auto dealership. Mm -hmm. Three months later, when that GM gets fired because they didn't hit their sales numbers, new mm -hmm. GM comes in, and your relationship now needs to be restarted if possible. And therefore, we try to stay away 
typically from companies where or business opportunities where uh, we're really dependent on that site manager. There's a lot of turnover for site managers. So let's talk a little bit about how you attract your franchisees. Solely word of mouth as of today. A year from today, we'll, we'll have a full marketing program for that. And the reason we're word of mouth today is because we're not looking to add to our current or existing franchise network. Right. Why is today. that? Uh, because I've got more than enough franchise operators in the uh, Southern California region to add more contracts without the need to add more franchises. So uh, I'm sorry, I, I was under the impression that INXO had had franchises all over the country. Is that? No, not yet. We I will see. begin expanding next summer. I see. Or, or thereabouts. That's 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 the plan. So by that time, we will have a full blown uh, marketing effort. So you're. So you're. Yeah, go ahead. So, so, so your your potential for growth then is really geographically as well as intra. Uh, that's correct. Intra so, um, profession. So, so that and for that reason, that's why we're projecting exponential growth for the next five years. So, yeah, I was, yeah, was going to say if you if you really yeah you have some great potential for growth, and especially now that you've got past so much of the hard stuff, um, you can now really scale this thing. Yeah. So today we're. Today we have a twelve million dollar company. Um, I'm expecting in five years we'll be somewhere in that eighty million to a hundred million dollar range. That's that's the expectation. Right. And are you planning to stay with the company forever? Or? What's my exit strategy? Well, um, yeah. I my company currently is family owned and family operated. So it's myself and my two adult children. And the plan for the company is that I'm going to move into the board seat and my adult children are going to move into the top of management. And then my children are going to move into the board and we're going to bring in a non-family um, management team. And the expectation is that will all take place over the next three to five years. I hope your, your adult children are as excited about the future as you are, because you've really built a hell of a company. You know? uh, so far, they're enjoying themselves. They look right. pretty happy, but, you know, yeah. well, I know I'm just their dad, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah. so, so speaking of which, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've known lots of father-children relationships that have gone south because of being in business together and others that have been completely enriched. Judging from your demeanor, I'm guessing it's the latter, but I'm curious how you would reflect on that. Um, I'd say 100%. Uh, yeah. my, my relationship with my children has become enhanced as a result of our working together. Mm -hmm. um, seeing each other on a daily basis, even though it's via Zoom, it doesn't matter. We still talk. Uh, we meet once a week uh, on Zoom for an hour just to have a friendly owner's conversation. And typically... Uh, the business is rarely discussed during that hour. It's almost always kids and high school and right. you know, new decks being put on and things like that. Right. And is, what do you think the secret sauce is? Or why do you think your relationship has, uh, has done well as opposed to, I, mean, I know you know what I'm talking about. You've probably heard of other horse that haven't gone well. There's a tremendous amount of demonstrable love between the three of us. Mm -hmm. uh, my daughter, my son get along extraordinarily well. They're very, very close knit. And uh, the two of them with me are the same. So we talk, they're very comfortable speaking with me. Um, I don't come off um, as an authority figure to them. And I work hard at that. 
simply because I'd, I'd rather have a just a strong friendship relationship, an advisory relationship, a coaching relationship. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm I'm not the cops, so I'm not there to tell them what to do or how to do right. it. Right, right. Do you do you have a process though for conflict resolution, or does is with with the kids? Well, with anybody in your company. Uh, well, with kids, yeah, avoid it at all costs. Um, with, <laughs> Denial. With, it's, it's 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 the same. It's, it's 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 the same secret sauce for my marriage. You know. In fact, I just had that conversation with Judy uh, last week, and, the, and and she says, "You have no idea how many times I bite my tongue." And I said, "I know, mine's raw too." But you know, <laughs> but so be it. You know, we're happy, right. we're in love, and then we're just going to keep it that way. And if right. anything gets in the way, that gets shoved to the side. And and you live in God's country, so it's it's great. Well, that's correct. Uh, as far as conflict resolution, I try to really emphasize strong communication, bringing things up, not allowing things to fester, um, and being very direct with people when things uh-huh. start to go south. So right. that there's clarity and there's understanding. Um, there's got to be a measure of empathy and empathy has to flow both directions. So it can't be all empathy from the, from the boss to the subordinate. It has to be empathy in both directions. Gotcha. Um, and uh, work to come to a great compromise solution. I try to do that with my clients. I try to do it with our franchises, everybody we deal with. We really try to, to keep the eye on the ball, which is, you know, we're here to make money. We're here to, to build a business together um, and, or to, to, to provide a service, whatever it is we're doing, but we're here to do it together. And we want to try to work to uh, maintain the relationship as, as best as we can. Uh, well, that's just my personal philosophy. I don't, I don't, my take, what is the takeaway for me? What is the takeaway that I want? Um, uh, no, I think that, uh, quite frankly, for me, the takeaway is if you're passionate about being a business, get into business, be in business. It's a great place to be. It's not just about the money. It's not just about the people. It's about all of it together and having fun. And the one thing that I might take away from all of this is it's unbelievable how much we grow from these kinds of things. Right. And part of, I think, starting and owning and operating a business is accepting that you're going to be confronted with personal growth on a daily basis. Yeah. And if you, you do know, not change, you will you will get plowed under. Yeah, it's interesting. And what I, I asked someone recently, you know, who's very successful, and when you speak to him, you would know from hearing that he's got a lot of gifts. And his probably his biggest gift is that he's able to attract really good people and be very straight with them, very constructive and positive. And, and he he has that gift to be able to do that. And I asked him if there was a moment in, of his life that there was a tra- the trajectory changed. What was that? And and it was so surprising to me to hear that he was uh, a young college student, newly married, and his wife uh, became pregnant. And he's living, you know, he's already living hand to mouth in a rented garage. And what's right. he, and what's he going to do? You know, what is he going to do? And so, you know, he 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 decides to quit school and uh, get a job. And he was offered, you know, two jobs. One was working for the government, where it was a guaranteed pretty fairly high salary. And the other one was a job that had uh, had a sales element that you had to essentially eat what you kill. And uh, and everybody was telling him to take the safe road. Everybody was telling him to work for the government. Right. And and for some reason, he just had the instinct that said, you know, I, I want to do the other. And I have to tell you, this is a very, very successful person. And 
And he, you know, in that moment, that was the pivotal moment because he probably would have been the really the best, you know, executive at the DWP he ever met. Okay. He would have been that guy, but he, he would never have reached the heights to which he is now because he took a chance and he went into, he did what he did. And he went into business and became wildly successful. So I'm with you on that. You got to go for it. And it's funny you mentioned it's not about the money because I know you and I both went uh, years without taking paychecks and we built our businesses. So, you know, if it was about the, if it was about the money then we would have quit long ago, as soon as, you know, as soon as you go without a few paychecks, you know, it's not about the money. Yeah, well, that's very true. Well, I, the one thing I will say, for me, there are three specific types of people that start businesses. Um, there's the engineer, right? There's the, the accountant and the salesperson. And most people identify with the salesperson because they can sell pretty much anything to anyone. They're very good at speaking with others uh, and interfacing with people. They have their weakness. They know sales really well, but they're not really necessarily systems people. And they're not good at at engineering things, you know, making new things. That's not their, their gig, but they can sell it. And uh, that's one type. I'm the systems guy. So I'm not right. the sales guy. I, I'm not good at selling. I'm okay at it. I got some, you know, DNA in me that's probably uh, pretty good at selling. But the reality is that's not my forte. My forte is the system side. And that's what I'm good at building out right. and creating a process. I, I'm good one-on-one -on -one with people. I'm not one on many. So me in front of a group of people, I, I struggle more, more frequently. Um, but the, I've, I've met people who are, are the engineers. They're just great at, at coming up with concepts, you know? So the, these are the Teslas of the world that, mm -hmm. you know, or the, 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 the uh, Elon Musk's of the world that they can see things that others can't see and they can invent things and they're really good at what they do. Um, that's their forte. The challenge I think is, entrepreneurs is understanding what your strength is, what your weakness is, and figuring out how to fill in the holes. Yeah. That reminds me of the, the book, The E-Myth, The E-Myth kind yeah, of. Discusses. That's right. That's a, it's a great book for someone brand new in business. The E-Myth, I think it's called Revisited. It's in multiple. E-Myth e -E Revisited. That was yeah. one of the first uh, business books that somebody shoved at me and said, you got to read this. You got to read this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very, important, very important for anybody who's that engineer, for sure. Without a doubt, without yeah, a doubt. Yeah, very good. Well, Paul Laredo, uh, not surprised. Really enjoyed this conversation with you. I could probably keep talking to you for a few more hours, but I don't know. <laughs> it's always great working with you and talking with you. I've known you for a long time now. So uh, it's just like having a fireside chat with a, with a good buddy. So exactly. Really good. exactly. And if you live close by in, in God's country in the Royal Grande, I'd say, hey, let's go get a beer. <laughs> well, don't, don't be surprised if I knock on your door one day unexpected. You're always welcome in my house, trust okay. me. Okay, well, likewise. Paul, I wanna thank you for being on Small BizCast. I love that you have such a unique approach to doing business, that you think outside the box, and that you have come to different ways of doing things that fit your values in life, your life balance, work balance, and how you apply that to your business. And I think there's inspiration there. So I'm sure the listeners picked up a lot of nuggets and having a lot of new ideas just based on our conversation. So thanks a million, really appreciate you being here. Small BizCast drops every other Tuesday. Follow us on our socials for business tidbits and special offers. Thanks again for our sponsors, the Miller Hogga Law Group and Mercury Document Imaging. And remember to support Fit for the Cause. And of course, thanks to my producer, Chaz Volk of Mr. Thrive Media. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much for listening. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life. <laughs>